0: Watching my father draw as a young man, he was drawing romance comics.
1: This is John Romita Jr. from the 2022 podcast, The History of Marvel Comics' Black Panther, talking about his father, John Romita Sr.
0: When he started to draw uh, the superheroes, oh, this is fantastic. So I asked him and he said, well, these are superheroes and these are characters and yada, yada, yada. That either it was that night or the next night I fell asleep and there were monsters under my bed and I had to get up. I was terrified. I had to go up to see what dad was doing up in the attic. And he's working and I walk up on him. This is the old attic. You pull down the ladder in the attic back in Queens. You pull down the ladder and you walk up into the attic and there is his office. And uh, I swear I can see it in my head and I can draw the whole thing right now. Uh, and he's working on Daredevil number 12. Now, just because he was a, an artist didn't make me want to be an artist. And I still say to this day, as, as God is my my witness, watching the cover he was working on, knocked all of the fear out of my head because I was suddenly paying attention to what was on the board. And it was Daredevil number 12, with Kazar up in the tree and, and so on. And Daredevil is surrounded by all the bad guys. And I immediately asked him, what is this? And he tells me, this is Daredevil. He's a good guy and he's a superhero. And these guys are all going to fight him and he's going to beat the crap out of all of them. Not in quite those words, but that's what he said. I said, really? Tell me. Oh, and by the way, he's blind. And I think the top of my head blew off. And according to my father, I sat down at his board and watched him for several hours and then started drawing on the floor with a piece of chalk. And apparently that was the beginning of this because he tells me that's all I wanted to do was draw. And that's all I did from that point on. And that cover I have in my possession, in my house locked up, I still have that cover. And it's, uh, it's so important to me.
2: That was John Ramita Jr. talking about his father who passed away earlier this week. John Ramita Sr. was a pillar of the Marvel Universe. As an artist
1: and art director, his talent defined decades of Marvel's most well-known storytelling, spinning hundreds of unforgettable comics that brought now iconic characters like Wolverine, Black Widow, The Punisher, Kingpin, Luke Cage, Spider-Man, and Mary Jane to life.
2: You know, we did so many incredible things. For me, um, it was Spider-Man Annual Number 16, Who's That Lady? The first appearance of Monocranbo was a collaboration between John Romita Sr. and John Romita Jr., who were both credited for her design, is not only one of my favorite comics, and it has the first appearance of my favorite superhero, that book cover is displayed prominently on the wall in my office. Known fondly to many as Jazzy John Romita in the Marvel bullpen, his kindness, grace, and vision will always be remembered. And his influence will continue to shape generations of artists to come at Marvel and beyond. About 15
1: years ago, I was in my office at Marvel at the time that I shared with my boss and someone else. And above my desk behind me, I had a massive Marvel Universe poster. It was the covers to the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Um, All these amazing images, 150 images, give or take, of various characters. And one day, someone was walking around the office with John Ramita Sr., just having him say hello, see the new offices that we were in, seeing his old friends, talking to people. And they stopped by our office, and they must have been like, hey, here's the, the website guys. You know, And John walks in, he looks at us, says hi, and he looks at the poster, and he says, I remember this. And he explained to us that he was art director at Marvel at the time. And he talked us through the process of how they turned the official handbook of the Marvel Universe covers into this incredible poster that to this day still blows my mind. is a beautiful thing. He talked about the way that they had to create new art and all this stuff. And I was so enamored by, one, John Ramita Sr., but two, the way he explained this, that as I would give tours of the Marvel office to guests, to various people, to celebrities, whomever it was over the course of my career... That would be one of my main stops. And to be able to talk about John Ramita Sr. and how he was able to gift that bit of information to me. um, it's, It's the only time I got to speak to him, but it's left a profound impact upon me. We mourn the loss of a creative giant. Our hearts are with his family and loved ones as we remember his legacy. Marvelites who are listening to This Week in Marvel episode number 607. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And
2: I'm Angelique Roche, a.k.a. the person who still needs to go and watch The Predator. How
1: dare you? I was going to ask you. You said you were doing it last night. You lied to me.
2: <laughs> I'm so sorry. I promise there was a really good... I was with my mother.
1: And Predator is for families. You could have watched Predator with your mom.
2: You're right. It is a... F- Fam, family movie. I
1: yeah. I I picture the two of you sitting on the couch together, and then when Jesse the body Ventura says, "I ain't got time to bleed," you guys you just hold hands and say, "I love you. Thank you for being with me."
2: Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. uh. Wow, wow. He says that. Yep. Oh, that's just one of a million lines. It's so good. Uh, for those who don't know, this is the official <laughs> Marvel podcast where we talk about. What's happening this week at Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about, which actually does include Predator because, you know, we just we had the We publish Predator comics. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, Wolverine we got versus Predator. Yeah.
0: It's uh, all Ben, is, it's ben all tri- Percy
2: is all about, this should have always happened, but it was meant for me, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, we've got a lot to
1: talk about this week. Um, later on in the show, we're going to have a Marvel Insider Code, and we have not one, but two interviews for you. Coming up later in the show, I'm going to chat with David Gelb, who's the director of the new Stan Lee documentary, which is out now on Disney+. Plus.
3: We th- realize that, you know, we can kind of tell a multi-layered story here, something that reveals the kind of, you know, both the origin story of Stan Lee, the hero as we know him, as well as, you know, his kind of more vulnerable, kind of sensitive alter ego, who's very much a real person.
1: But first up, we have more exciting Marvel Spider-Man 2 release news for you. I got a chance to catch up with Brian Intahar, sweet boy and creative director at Insomniac Games, who gives us the latest scoop on the pre-orders, pre-orders, pre-orders for PlayStation 5 and some new insight into the creation of this amazing game. Let's dig into it right freaking now.
4: Brian freaking Intihar, how are you? I'm great. I'm really, really good. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk a whole bunch of times over the next couple of months, but the big news this week is that pre-orders are here, they're live. What does it mean for you to not only have a release date, you know, what up, October 20th, 2023, but to know that millions of folks are eager to give up their hard-earned money for the game that y'all have been working on for literally years now?
4: I think it's two feelings. You're both excited and stressed because you know that people have been waiting a long time for the game. They've been wondering when it's coming out. So there's definitely a sense of excitement and relief that we can say what the date is and say it with confidence. I think you're at the same time, you're like, okay, well, this game, you know, there's high expectations you want to deliver on those. So you're you're nervous, but it's like exciting nervousness, I guess.
1: People seem pretty hyped. Marvel Spider-Man Two was announced September of 2021, and yes. we have gameplay that was released uh, last month. How does it feel to now finally share gameplay with the world? Not just thinking about like what the fans are excited about, but like actually saying, "Okay, I can distance myself and say, here it is. Here's what we've got."
4: One thing that we talk a lot about is, you know, we work on these games. I mean, kind of in secret. Like you know, we're working. We're not talking about them. We're not even talking to our friends and family about what we're working on. So we're kind of like insulated. And you know, for the team, and I know for myself, like when finally we can reveal some of it and show, well, like, here's what the game is. It kind of fills us up with this energy, like that excitement that you need to kind of make that final push. So it's kind of like like an adrenaline shot to get go. Like you know, hey, here it is, and seeing the reactions and seeing how people excited people get. And just like the moments, you know, that they're going to react like, you know, okay, you know, Peter's going to jump out, you know, okay. And you see the black suit. And then like, when Pete says, I can't make it to Harlem and we do the switch to miles. Or like, even when people that first you know, cinematic starts, people think that the first character is Craven, not realizing that the next character they see is actually <laughs> Craven. So it's just like watching those reactions and kind of like, is it going to hit?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, thinking about living in the almost like living in a bubble with the game. Do you yeah. remember your first thoughts or, or ideas for the game? You know, was it why you were making Marvel Spider-Man? Was it the day after release where you just went, oh, wait, I want to do this? Or was it like, you know, years before all of this, you were just like plotting and
4: thinking about it all? That's a great question, Ryan. I think in a way you always are Kind of thinking about how things can go like, you know, before when I used to work full time at the office, I would have a lot. I live in California, so I have a long drive home in traffic and you would think about like, okay, we're working on Spider-Man one. If we were to continue making these games, where could we go? So you kind of go into that almost like fanboy kind of thing. Like, okay, what do I do? And obviously the game ended with a scene that kind of paved the way of what we were thinking about with the tease of the symbiote. So. We kind of knew before we finished Spider-Man 1, the overall direction would be on on Spider-Man 2. And then kind of, you know, from there after Spider-Man 1 shipped, you know, we worked on some DLC with The City Never Sleeps. And then as that was going on, kind of starting to get those, what are those big story points that we want to get in there? What characters we want to feature? And then I would say the following year, really just still kind of in that kind of big picture thinking. While that's going on, at the studio, we're also making Miles and seeing that. So, like, how can we set up Miles in the first game to, you know, get bitten by a spider? And we knew we were going to go, but to then kind of build off that momentum of the Miles game was just really exciting. So I think as we're making the game, making this thing about the story, working on Miles, how do we all want to bring it together?
1: Hell yeah. I think that's part of the the fun thing about doing something creative. That you genuinely love and and feel for, you know, I, I've i got a thing and I've just got a document where I just keep adding like, all right, I want to do this story. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Like having those potentials is is invigorating and it's exciting. So I, I'm very excited for you guys.
4: It's funny. I've never really talked about this. I kind of think in moments like I would like to see this happen. I would like to see that happen. I would like to see. And I kind of start there. Hmm. And then, you know, obviously you think about character arcs and themes, but you kind of just go back to like, I'm a kid playing with my action figures and I want to set up a scenario. And you kind of just start really basically, like you, you kind of go back to your childhood a little bit and go, what do I want to see happen? And that's why, you know, when we talked very early on in Spider-Man 1 about the suits that we were choosing, I mean, we definitely talked about featuring the black suit. Like we talked about it like, oh yeah, it'll be one of the suits you unlock and, you know, it was I think it was me and Bill Roseman and Eric Monticelli. And we're all kind of sitting around and others at Somniac, I think it was Gavin, our lead character artist. And we were like, well, are we going to do it? And we kind of all sat and goes, if we're going to do the black suit. That has to be a major part of the story. Because I, I think the other thing we talked a lot about is we just don't want to do something for the sake of doing it. We want to always, as much as possible, wrap it in a, in a story. And that's what makes Marvel, Marvel is the story.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into the story and gameplay stuff, but I do want to make sure we hit on um, the pre-order stuff, uh, because that is happening right now as this episode is going live. Let's hit the deets really quick on those different editions. Um, we've got the collector's edition, the digital deluxe standard, but the, the for fans who pre-order any edition of Marvel Spider-Man 2, they're going to get Arachnite for Peter yeah. Uh, some color variants. They're going to get the shadow spider suit for miles with color variants. Web grabber gadget early unlock and three skill points. Um, yeah. you, obviously, you guys are, are planning out you know your skill trees and their items and the costumes and all this stuff. How do you start to say, okay, this is what we want to, to give to the pre-order people. This is what we want to make sure we don't even show until people are like 10 hours in the game and they've unlocked and they go, what the
4: hell is that? Well, the good news is <laughs> from Spider-Man 1 and Miles game, we knew people really like suits. So it's like, you know, it's, and they have a lot of opinions on suits. Then it was, okay, we know we want to give some early unlocks to the suits. And then we're like, well, which ones are they? And actually, we'll say, we made this decision pretty quickly. I was like, well, we have two suits that at least have capes. Like, you know, that's something we didn't do in both Spider-Man 1 and Miles. Let's Let's do it. So we actually have those those two suits, one for Pete, one for Miles. Um, but what's really cool is not only being able to have those suits, you know, feature a cape and really seeing, especially when you're, when you're wing suiting, it looks really cool. The web wings, being able to actually have color variants for, for each. And that's, you know, for um, the majority of our suits, we have these color variants now, which is new to customization. So you actually get unlock a suit, but then you also get the the variants that we offer. So it's, um, it's definitely going to make especially when we go into things like photo mode and stuff like that, people are going to really have a lot of um, uniqueness to when when they post stuff online.
1: Yeah. I immediately started thinking of photo mode as you we were talking about that. So that's going to be super fun and seeing that um, when we get into it in October. And then we've got the digital deluxe edition, which uh, has the game, all those pre-order incentives. And then the 10 suits five for Peter five for miles, the photo mode frames and stickers, additional skill points. But I was looking at them, the apocalyptic suit for Peter. I was like, give that to me right now. And then Miles Tokusatsu suit. I'm a huge fan of Tokusatsu. So seeing those, I was like, y'all get it. This is good.
4: Yeah. We kind of took the the momentum of the suit, people wanting suits. And we're like, what can we do different? And one thing was like, why don't we just make new suits, like stuff you've never seen before and team up with really awesome artists from, you know, outside the studio and really see what we could do. And obviously the finished products are great. Like the uh, punk like that one's really cool. Like I love the encoded suit for miles. Like it's super, really cool, but it's kind of was really awesome to see their creative process of how they go into like, just like concepting multiple ideas. And then we kind of pick and refine and you finally get the final version. You're like, that's super cool. But then, so you see that like the finished pretty picture and then you load it in the game you're like wow that's really cool so it's 10 unique suits that the first time you'll ever see them or experience them are is in the game and it's really been awesome just to team up with so many awesome artists
1: yeah And then we've got the Collector's Edition, which has the voucher for the Digital Deluxe Edition, and then a steelbook case. We're going to get into that in a little bit. A 19-inch statue featuring Spider-Man battling Venom. Uh, Obviously, as I mentioned, this episode goes out around the time that fans can start to order the Collector's Edition on PlayStation Direct in select markets. So best of luck to everyone who wants one. I'm assuming that that puppy's going to sell real quick. Those look real cool.
4: The statue of the Spider Heroes and Venom is pretty, pretty cool. Like it's, <laughs> the, I know they're going to go fast. I hope everybody who wants one gets one. I know they're going to be demand, but it's it is really pretty epic in terms of uh, for a collector's edition. So you get all the stuff we talked about, all the stuff from the pre order, all the stuff from the digital deluxe. But then you get, you know, obviously the steel bookcase and then the pretty amazing statue. It's pretty dope.
1: It, it looks awesome. Venom through the steel book case and the statue for the collector's edition. We're getting our first looks at Venom. I love how he's he's classic, yet feels like he's a distinct version of Venom for the Marvel Spider-Man universe. I got to ask, how many teeth does Venom have?
4: A lot. A lot. <laughs> like it's, it's interesting. Someone asked me there, how many are. I actually don't know. But I think Venom is a really good example, whether it's Venom, whether it's Craven, whether it's pete and miles like almost anybody we ever feature, we kind of the kind of the our like north star for this game for this franchise has always been like we want to respect the dna of the of the character of the franchise what the creators have done such good a job of like making but also what the fans love right like we don't want to go so out of left field that you know they don't they can't identify with anything related to the character but at the same time we do want to Mix things up and, you know, put our kind of, you know, our unique take, like, back on Spider-Man 1, when I talk about the advanced suit, like, that's a great example of, right off the bat, you look at that suit, you're like, oh, the red, the blue, the eyes, that's that's Spider-Man. That is a Spider-Man suit. But then you have the big white spider, which was different for that color scheme. And you're like, oh, that's Insomniac Spider-Man. And we kind of took that philosophy from that moment all the way through, whether it's our character designs, whether it's story, whether it's our gameplay. And I think Venom's a great example. Like, I, mean, I know there's Spider Man fans and there's Marvel fans, but there are big Venom fans. And that is a character that you do not want to screw up. Yeah.
1: Can't wait for that. I'm also digging the new key art, too, and thinking about that uniqueness that you have for the characters. You know, you got Peter and Miles. Obviously, you want to have them there together, but reflecting the aspects of their powers and their abilities, their differences, the the, the black webbing, the, you know, uh, Miles's uh, blast, you know, how many iterations of that did y'all go through to get it to to what it is now, which I think looks absolutely terrific.
4: Anytime you do one of those kind of, whether it's box art, whether it's key art, whether it's anything, we do a lot of iteration. I mean, down to like, the finger is pointing this way, can we move it? just a little <laughs> bit more up. Like, I mean, we get really, really detailed. And the good news is we have a lot of way more talented people than me making those decisions and making those calls. You know, whether it's our art director, Jacinda, whether it's the Marvel Games team, just kind of let them be the artists because they are tremendous artists and let them kind of be the experts there. Um, but no, it's it's really cool. It kind of hints at some things, obviously with the symbiote. Uh, Miles has evolved Venom powers. Um, and then it's kind of just a tease of, a lot of big things to happen in, in the game, whether it's both in gameplay or in the story.
1: Exciting. You know, we also have villains, so we, we know we'll see Lizard and Craven in the game. Give, can you give us some info on our boy Sergei Kravenov, who he is, yeah. what he's doing in the game, his design? And particularly because we got new art, um, there's yeah. his crew that we see in the game. And like, there's the one dude in the back. Like, I like him, the big weird dude.
4: Yeah. First of all, even picking Craven was, he originally wasn't, in the game, like very early on, like you asked me, like back when we were talking, they actually wasn't in the game. And then we were thinking about kind of the story we wanted to tell, how we wanted to push Peter and Miles in places they may not be as comfortable with. And not to mention, like, we knew we were going to do Lizard, we knew we were going to do Venom, and we're like, what's a character that kind of can push everybody and push the story into a different direction? And we were like craving. I'm a big Kraven fan. I just think he's such an interesting, cause he's not like, he doesn't have like magical powers. He doesn't, he's not like magic base. He's not like full of tech. He's a hunter. You know, obviously he's powerful and strong, but you know, he's smart. Also I thought like his story could be probably like much more psychological than maybe mm. some of our other characters we've done in the past. And you know, that cinematic that we showed really kind of tells you what he's looking for. Craven is looking for an equal. Look, he's looking for somebody who's going to really challenge him, you know, and he you could tell he's frustrated with his crew and his crew are basically hunters he's recruited from all over the world, the best of the best of the best. And he's asking for their help to find an equal.
1: One last thing, just the the switching of characters and that they they have missions and different aspects that are specific to them, which I think is really cool and is going to going to make it a lot of fun as Folks find their way to play the game.
4: First off, there's a reason beyond it just being sequel. It's called Marvel Spider-Man Two. It's a game featuring two Spider heroes. It was really important that we have an experience in a way, at least on the game side, of you're playing as both Peter and Miles. Like really embracing, like not only do they have, you know, a big story they're sharing within the world, but they have their own individual journeys. And we want people to experience them. Now, the way it's going to work is when you're playing like the main story, like that main story path, those missions, we are going to kind of determine based on what we where we want to go with the mission, the story, who you're playing as. So sometimes we'll have missions where you just play as Peter. Sometimes you'll just play as Miles. Sometimes we'll, they'll be together and we'll, like in that, the gameplay reveal we showed, we'll determine when you switch between the two characters. So that's the main story. In the open world, when you're exploring a city, now you're going to be able to switch Instantly, and a lot of that is because of the power of the PS5, you can really, just with kind of one button press, you're playing as Peter in Queens, and all of a sudden you can say, I want to be I want to be Miles, and he'll just be right around the corner, and now you're swinging as Miles, so it's instant. And what's great is that we'll have content in the open world that's designed specifically around Peter, because we always want to make sure what we're doing is, you know, whatever kind we have, we have a great story around it. So sometimes we want to craft that around a certain character. Same thing for Miles. We have content designed specifically for him. And then we have the shared content where you can play as either Peter or Miles.
1: It's going to be great. Uh, Marvel Spider-Man 2 releases October 20th, 2023, only on PlayStation 5. Pre-order the title now on PlayStation Store, PlayStation Direct, or wherever you get your PS5 games. Brian and Tahar, you're a delight. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. That was Brian and Tahar from Insomniac Games. Make sure you get your pre order right now. I'm very excited. I'm
2: going, I'm going to do it now. Excuse me. Um, you got the rest of the show though, right? Yeah, and sure. I'll take care of yeah. it. Uh, uh, but I also have to shout out your range on the pre orders, pre orders, pre orders. I didn't, I didn't know you could do that.
1: Uh, some people call me the Taylor Swift of Marvel podcasting. I can sing things.
2: You know, good people have good music taste, and I trust those people, and that's. What we're talking about this week is who do you trust? See, I was trying to find that segue. What bridge? I got there. You did it. Oh man. Uh, So you trust us? I I think you trust us. I hope you trust us. Ryan, are you scroll? I can neither confirm nor deny. Well, you should trust us, even though that was not an answer. Uh, Trust us when we tell you Marvel Studios Secret Invasion premieres in just a few days. Yeah, that's right. Uh, The first episode of the series releases only on Disney Plus next Wednesday, June 21st. I'm going to say it again. Next Wednesday, June 21st. Put it on your calendars. You know, if you like getting ready for the show with, like, clips and teasers, yo, there's so much much mm-hmm. out there, there's new clips, there's new TV spots, articles on the characters, and more all over Marvel.com, but no spoilers, because then how would we still have secrets to invade? Yeah. Uh, and then on Disney+, Plus, some Marvel Studios Legends episodes to help you dig into the characters, you'll see in the series, and you know what? <clears throat> I hear Mr. Mm. Ryan Penagos, uh that um, you've seen some of this series. Sure mm. I have. It's full of twists
1: and turns and surprises.
2: Um, so you want to watch it
1: pretty soon when it comes out. So you know exactly what's going on, I'm trying not to get spoiled on things. But, you know, let's roll into it. It's secret invasion time, baby.
2: All right. So uh, speaking of MCU news, we've got some hot off the presses news about some of your favorite movies that are coming to you soon.
1: Yeah, so a whole bunch of Marvel Studios date updates. So Marvel Studios' Captain America Brave New World will be coming out July 26th, 2024. Marvel Studios' Thunderbolts will be coming out December 20th, 2024. Merry holidays to us. Uh, Marvel (laughs) Studios' Blade will be coming out February 14th, 2025.
2: Wait, is that a Valentine's Day Day movie?
1: It's a Valentine's Day present To all of, oh, you better believe it. We've got the untitled Marvel Studios Deadpool movie now coming even sooner, May 3rd, 2024. Hell freaking yeah. Marvel Studios Fantastic Four is coming out May 2nd, 2025, getting that primo spot in 2025. Then Marvel Studios Avengers The Kang Dynasty coming out May first 2026 and marvel studios avengers secret wars coming out may 7th 2027 we are looking at the next four years of movies and it is glorious
2: Ah, oh, and i am filled with glorious purpose to watch every single one of them
1: but maybe you want something else this week, how about Marvel Snap, which has a new game mode? It is called Conquest and it is live right now. It's a single loss elimination style tournament that is seasonal and each season of conquest is a series of weeks so you're going to be going through this for you know like like we do for our regular seasons but conquest has exclusive rewards that consist of different types of currency for the game uh, variants for your cards new titles stuff like that uh, and also some bragging rights and some cool things now you start by participating in the Proving Grounds. And Proving Grounds okay. is, is free. Anybody can jump into that. Boom, boom, boom. You win a Proving Grounds, which is one match. Then you get a silver ticket. Boom. You can take that silver ticket and use it to try to win the silver conquest round. Now, that's two matches. you got to win two. If you win okay. that, you get a gold ticket. You have to get three wins. You win gold. All three of those, you get an infinity ticket. Oh, Infinity ticket is the final round of conquest. Now that, you have to win five matches. Remember, this is single loss elimination. So if you have won all of those, you're in match five of infinity. And you lose that last one, boom. You lost. You're done. But that's okay, because you can go back around. The thing is... The final week is the only time when Infinity Conquest is available, so you're going to be like getting up there and figuring it out. It's it's really interesting how they they've structured this. Um, Again, a single loss ends your run, no matter where you are. But you can go back. You can you know if you need another ticket to start again, you can you can get one of those. You can purchase it with gold. Um, It's easy to get back in the Conquest, but you got to bring your best. Wins also earn you medals, and medals are used at the new metal shop. There's lots of things in there um, that you can get. And if you make enough purchases, you get that season's exclusive card. So there's a lot of incentive to play Conquest and check it out. Um, but ultimately, if you win Infinity Conquest, the ultimate reward is a new Infinity Avatar frame that when people see it, they go, oh, that person looks good. I said Man, bragging rights on bragging rights. Mm-hmm. All the Snap stuff is going to be super fun, but also in Marvel Games updates this week. We got some cool stuff happening across a couple of our other titles. We've got Danny Moonstar and Lady Deathstrike joining Marvel Contest of Champions. Those are going to be super fun. I love both those characters so much. You can download the game and play as two of the raddest mutants uh, ever on mobile, so go check those out. And also on mobile, download Marvel Future Fight because they got a whole bunch of Spider-Verse updates and characters and much more just dropping into the game this week. Both those games, Marvel Contest of Champions and Marvel Future Fight, available right now on mobile. Uh, But maybe you want to read something. Get ready because... A new Ultimate Universe is on the horizon. Coming out of the upcoming Ultimate Invasion series, first issue drops next week. I'm going to be reading it this afternoon as of Ooh. as of when we're recording. I'm very excited. That Ultimate Invasion series starts very soon. But then this November, we have Ultimate Universe number one, a one-shot written by Jonathan Hickman, drawn by Stefano Caselli with a cover by Brian Hitch. And this is going to introduce readers to the new line Of Ultimate Comics that'll be home to, as we say in our press release, home to an array of brand new hard-hitting series.
2: Um, Mm -hmm. Nice. I like your press voice.
1: Yeah, thank you. I I know what they got in store. I'm very excited for this. Obviously, in the coming months, we're going to have more information about this new universe crafted by this generation, this new... Visionaries. If you think about the original Ultimate Universe coming out in in two thousand, and you know Joe Quesada and uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Miller and a bunch of other people, um, the the Kuberts are in there. Mark Bagley, amazing people who who sort of started that. But now we've got a whole new generation. There's a great quote from Jonathan Hickman about all this. He said, "Quote: What made the Ultimate Universe originally really interesting was that it was a reflection of the world outside your window in the moment that you were living in." What does it look like in the world we're living in now? It's kind of shocking how much the world has changed in that period of time. The idea of what it would be like to see the genesis of superheroes in a brand new world is a really fascinating exercise. We're yeah. over 20 years. The, yep. the world is I, I, it's so <laughs> incredibly different. The idea that they're going to like give us this take of a new universe where superheroes just launch into it. What does that look like?
2: Yeah. And it's pretty amazing because a lot of folks came in on that ultimate line, right? Like that was some of the first books they picked up. I mean, how could we forget? We got Miles Morales from the Ultimate Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like when you look at stories like the origins of Cloak and Dagger in the Ultimate Universe, the origins of like even looking at the makeup of the Avengers in that universe in such a different way, it really... I'm looking forward to the creativity. I'm looking forward to the blend in how technology has changed everything, um, how the environment has changed everything in the last 20 years.
1: This is going to be dope. Yeah. I've loved everything that Jonathan has done from the Ultimate Comics in the first round when he did some really cool stuff with the Zorns and Thor and some really, really wonderful things. So where he and and others go with it, it's going to be great.
2: Yeah, well, I also am very excited about our next announcement. The Wasp leads in Avengers, Inc. uh, Debuting in September, Avengers, Inc. launches by Al Ewing and Leonard Kirk. It blends noir, I love saying that word, and superhero storytelling for suspenseful adventures unlike any in Avengers history, mixing thrilling Avengers action with tense investigating and superpower sleuthing. I feel like there needs to be theme music to this and like wind blowing Mm. under everyone's clothing the way this is being described. And I'm very excited about it. Um, So as any noir story starts off, it starts off with a deadly conspiracy uh, rooted in the ghosts of the Avengers. And if you know the Avengers, they got a lot of ghosts that only founding Avenger Wasp can solve, which I love because I'm a big fan, if anybody knows anything about me, of Janet Van Dyne. I love when she was leader of the Avengers, and I think it's pretty yeah. amazing. So having her come back for this is is really Incredible. Um, but <laughs> she won't be alone uh, as she finds a new partner in Victor's Shade. The former alias of Vision mysteriously resurfaced just as Janet discovers a score of supervillain murders. Will he guide Wasp to the truth? Or is his familiar guys hiding the very clues Janet needs to crack the case? Fans can expect guest stars galore because obviously this is the Avengers. As his pulse pounding series moves forward. Man, I'm so excited about this. Uh, The series will also pack direct connections to other current Avengers ongoing series, Jed McKay, and CF Via's Avengers. So, yo, um, if you like noir, if you like investigative stories, if you like dark mysteries and love Janet Van Dyne, this is it. This is is perfect. I never thought I'd be able to say that out loud. I
1: know. And look, Al Ewing's been doing... Just incredible work, top to bottom all the time. And Leonard Kirk, so good. The Sabertooth run that was just this last year or so it was really wonderful. But he's done Noori stuff with X-Factor before, and it was great. So very, very good. You know what's also good? Blood
2: mm. and zombies. Zombies are back. No, seriously. Uh, The zombies are back, baby, and I am, for one, this person quite excited. The next Black, White, and Blood line continues this October with the installment fans have demanded. I know this fan has. Prepare yourself for unimaginable horror as Marvel zombies get the Black, White, and Blood treatment in a new four-issue series. Yeah, just in time for Halloween season.
1: We've got Marvel zombies Black, White, and Blood full of action-packed, utterly original, gloriously gory anthology stories and series and issues set in a universe where the Avengers, the X-Men, Spider-Man, and many more Marvel heroes and villains are beset by ever-growing zombie hordes transformed into flesh-eating monstrosities. It's brutal, blood-stained, can they survive, will they? I don't know, you're going to have to read it, but uh, we've got a little taste of what's in store for the first issue with some great
2: creators. Oh, man. So legendary writer Garth Ennis returns to the Marvel Universe alongside artist Rachel Stott to reveal the tragic fate of Matt Murdock as a zombie. Daredevil has committed unspeakable sins, and now it's time for an old accomplice to finally put him out of his misery. Or will he? Behold, one of Spider-Man's darkest days in a story by
1: writer and one of my best friends, Alex Zagora and artist Javi Fernandez. He saved the world time and time again with a quip and a thwip when he's forced to fight fiendish versions of his loved ones. Will Peter Parker do the unthinkable and give up? Also, I know Alex is like, he's a wuss and he's kind of squeamish about horror stuff. I love it. I
2: was not prepared for Alex. Um, Also, like really excited uh, that Alex is going to be back. But also writer Ashley Allen makes her Marvel Comics debut and teams up with artist Justin Mason for a jaw dropping moon night tale. Discover how Kanshu, god of the moon and vengeance, intervenes during apocalyptic times to protect his loyal avatar, Mark Spector. It all begins in October, the greatest month of the year because Halloween, period. Yeah. On the other end of all of this, uh, for those who don't like gore and don't like blood, and maybe don't want to see a reanimated corpse um, coming down the street, because not all kids want to have nightmares at night, uh, the kids <laughs> are going to uh, the Whip It. Oh my God, I'm so happy I got to say that. For those who love Devo, uh, because Spidey and his amazing friends are cleared for their fourth season. Oh my gosh. Um, Right now, if you want to get caught up on Spidey and Amazing Friends, you can check out season one and season two on Disney+. Plus. But, you know, know there's more thwippin' and more adorable tiny superheroes coming to you real
1: soon. I've seen some of the stuff that they have for the upcoming season three, season four. It's super cute. Um, We're a ways off from that. But if you've got younger kids out there you want to introduce them to the marvel superheroes and supervillains his amazing friends is a is incredible i cannot go a day without having to tell katherine my three and a half year old a rhino story because that's the only character she cares about half the time is we, we've built rhino into this hey i'm rhino this like weird villain hero and and my wife is he Elizabeth, from new jersey that's how we uh, literally, if you hear a, see a clip of Rhino, it's like, hey,
4: I'm Rhino.
1: It's kind of like that. We we have a lot of versions to tell of Rhino in this household, and he's a lot of fun. Plus Doc Ock. Yeah, we play a lot of Doc Ock because she loves Doc Ock. She's there such a
2: blessed kid to be in a house full of storytellers, man. <laughs> uh, so speaking stories. of <laughs> stories to be told, Ryan Apollos. Yes.
1: Yeah. Our comic book focused podcast, Marvel's Pull List, is out this week with uh, our picks of the week being Marvel's Voices Pride number one. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Everybody who worked on it should be happy and proud.
2: You can't tell, but I'm over here smiling. I'm so excited about this book.
1: Why would you be so proud of it? What did you do?
2: For, pride. Uh, for 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 said book, uh, so I am really excited because I am the consulting editor for the Marvel's Voices series, including Marvel's Voices Pride Number One, and I got to do some really cool pieces for the book. Uh, we talk a little bit about Betsy Braddock and Rachel Summers, and then an amazing interview with P. Craig Russell, an amazing artist who is now in his fiftieth year. Of working in comics, which blows my mind. Heck
1: yeah, Angelique. Marvel's Voices Pride, so good. All the Marvel's Voices books are great. Good job. Thank you. Uh, on top of Pride number one, our picks include Doctor Strange number four, which is just continues to be so damn good. And this one, I will say... It is a backdoor pilot for an Agents of Wand series is the way I look at it. And it is basically Wong and the other two members of Wand, which is the S.H.I.E.L.D.-ish team that focuses on magic, doing awesome, awesome stuff. It is really good. I I want everybody to read it. Um, And then this week is also the release of Captain Marvel number 50, the final issue by writer Kelly Thompson It is good, but it is the end. My heart. And our Reading Club this week is a uh, re-release of our chat with Carla Pacheco, writer and artist Pere Perez, talking about Spider-Rex and Spider-Woman and so much more. So check all that out. Of course, new episodes of Marvel's Pull List are out every Tuesday, which is perfect timing to help you get ready for Wednesday's new comic book day. Listen right now on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Oh, I love it. All right. All right. Next up, Ryan is going to be chatting with David Gelb, director of the new Stan Lee documentary. So you don't want to go anywhere. Yeah, we'll be back right after this. You're listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Angelique Roche.
1: And I am still possibly Ryan Panagos and it is time for our second interview of the show. The highly anticipated documentary Stanley is out today on Disney Plus. I sat down with director David Gelb to learn about how David and his team told the amazing story of our beloved Marvel legend. All right, we are talking about Stanley, the man, the myth, the documentary with director David Gelb. Hello, David.
3: Hi, Ryan. How are you?
1: Good, good, good. Um before we get into the doc, I want to ask, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first, you know, become a Marvel fan or connect to the characters, not on a professional level, but on a personal level?
3: Mm. Well, I think that for me, for my birthday, I think it was like my sixth or seventh birthday, I got as a present like a pack of 20 comic books, just random comic books. so it was like, Like Avengers West Coast, like a few Spider Man books. And I'd been familiar with Spider Man, and I loved Spider Man this pack had like a Submariner and it had all kinds of things in it, like completely like kind of a random assortment of characters. And that really kind of opened my mind to, you know, the greater Marvel universe. And, uh, I became uh, a big fan ever since then. It was the only comic books that I would read. And then every weekend my dad would take me to the comic shop and I would get the latest issue of like amazing and spectacular and like Venom lethal protector or like whatever was going on in the, you know, in the nineties. And, uh, it was something that was like emotionally connected me with my dad. And I just love to read it. And I love the stories and I love the characters.
1: That's amazing. Uh, we're we're of a very similar vintage. Uh, so I was picking up amazing and Venom and all that stuff too. It's, it's good stuff. Um, congratulations on the film. You're showing the doc at uh, Tribeca and then it lands on Disney plus for the entire world to see, you know, obviously when Stan passed away in 2018, I don't think the world fully knew how much personal footage R- recordings and different things. What was it like getting access to some of this stuff that no one had probably ever seen before?
3: The amount of archival materials was overwhelming. And the volume of interviews, of university speeches, you know, of um, television appearances, I mean, there's so much. And so when we were able to really start kind of drilling down and finding um, the kind of very personal things, the home movies, and and some of the kind of key, these kind of key audio recordings, it was really moving, and we th- realized that you know we can kind of tell a multi layered story here, something that reveals the kind of you know both the origin story of Stan Lee, the hero as we know him, as well as you know his kind of more vulnerable, kind of sensitive alter ego, who's very much a real person who grew up in the Depression and um, was just trying to make a living while also kind of following his gut and wanting to tell sophisticated stories. You know, he wanted to be a novelist. You know, he never thought he even wanted to be a comic book writer. And because at the time, comic books were just made for kids. You know, he wanted, he was more ambitious than that. And so he took this big risk, putting his family's livelihood on the line, making comic books with sophisticated, vulnerable characters. And um, that was something that we really were like, okay, let's drill in on this and really focus on this thread. Somebody who believed in something And went for it, even though everybody was telling him he was crazy.
1: Yeah. You mentioned how having all that footage, all that archival stuff is overwhelming. Was anything in there like super surprising to you? Or, you know, as
3: you're going through
1: with with the rest of the team, is there someone coming into a room like, listen to this, listen to this, look at what I got?
3: Yeah, a little bit. For me, it's a very important film. Um, And I think for a lot of people, you know, this is a very important person in many people's lives and we really wanted to do it justice, but we wanted to have something that could kind of coincide with his 100th birthday. And so we were on a timeline, uh, a tight timeline, but we were we refused to allow that to let us compromise the quality of the film. So we had an extensive team of editors, researchers, people working in parallel, editing together moments and scenes and things. And then we would we would review with the main, you know, with the main editors, and then we would say, oh, well, we could use a little bit more here. And then somebody would come in, yes, we found that thing. It was almost exactly like what you're describing. We found him, ex- <laughs> we found him explaining, you know, why Thor, you know, like we're only why Thor. And then there are a couple of different uh, stories of that. And so, these pieces would kind of come together in the process of making it, and it was really um, exciting. Um, and things that we were surprised by, you know, the the home video footage of him, you know, the intimacy of some of this material that they still have of him and his daughter and his and his wife, and he speaks candidly, you know, about the tragedy of you know losing his second daughter. And these are things that connect you to a person who. Outwardly he was very bombastic, and it seemed like he never had a care in the world, we were able to find a little bit of the vulnerable kind of humanity of Stan. And, you know, that was, uh, that was very important. And we wanted to make it something that, you know, that kids could watch and enjoy, but without dumbing it down at any time. And that's why we wanted to make visual. You know, we had incredible animators kind of bringing the comic panels to life. I was really moved by the uh, intricacy and detail of our model makers and our miniature makers, not only making it look beautiful, but accurate when you have it on Disney plus pause in the eras and see which comic books are hanging on the bulletin boards behind Stan. And like, it's all period accurate. And this is, you know, remarkable detail work um, from teams that grew up reading Marvel comics. So like for everybody on the crew, we were all so excited to have the opportunity to contribute to telling Stan's story.
1: Can you elaborate a little bit more on the miniatures and sort of how you use them throughout the film?
3: Sure. So, you know, Stan is an amazing storyteller. We know that, you know, um, he and his collaborators, co-creators, created all these incredible stories. But Stan himself, as an orator, you know, as a speaker, is an amazing storyteller in telling the story of his own life. And so Stan would tell the stories, and, and they felt like, narration like he was narrating something that you could be watching you know he would say i said this and then jack said well what about this and then or like his publisher i'd said what about this character spider-man it's like you can't have a teenager be a superhero and his um descriptions of these scenes lent themselves to some kind of visual medium how can we watch these scenes play out that he's describing with such life and action figures just felt like a natural fit because you know that's such a big part of comic books culture are action figures and it's something that i love i had you know my spider-man figurines and like all that stuff growing up so if the venn diagram of people who love comic books and people who love action figures it's a pretty it's almost a circle i feel like as far as i'm concerned and so um we thought that was the perfect way to do it and then just filming the action figures with like camera coverage as if it were a biopic, you know, we wanted to light it. Like it was like, what would it look like if, you know, Steven Spielberg was making a Stan Lee movie? You know, we wanted to have, you know, really intricate, beautiful lighting kind of formalist camera coverage. Um, But these are inanimate figures, but cutting back to them. And then they're in a different position for the next line of dialogue. Just kind of finding our own kind of quirky language that is fun, beautiful to look at and kind of just brings the story to life. Because we really wanted to make a documentary that could live on Disney Plus and that everybody would enjoy.
1: Especially when you have the the sort of like infamous radio appearance from, from the late 80s with Jack Kirby. And then Stan comes on and it gets, gets a little heated. You know, I've heard it before, but then adding the layer of like this visual of Stan in his office, it just it added to it. So that was, it's really cool.
3: That was a scene that we knew that we had to do something with because... The tension between the collaborators and the creative process and, you know, the misunderstandings between the collaborators, you know, that's life. You know, that's how how it happens a lot of the times. That piece of audio was really telling and kind of showed like the culmination of like it represented the kind of breakdown in their relationship, which, um, you know, was in hills and valleys. But they both acknowledged that, you know, they did great work together.
1: Yeah. I've never seen the footage of the talk show that stan is on and julie schwartz is on and there's like a a younger person there and they're talking about comics and stan is talking about like well we can give messages we can we can make this more we don't talk down to our audiences which is why marvel has been so successful and julie's like nah, we just gotta entertain you know we're gonna give them you know superman fighting a red cat in a blue tree and it's great and the the person there's like no, that's not what we want. And then Stan is head down, smirking like, "This is working out so beautifully." You can like see the gears turning in Stan's head. I loved that. I was so glad that was in there because I'd never seen that before.
3: It's such a great piece, and uh, it just perfectly distills the difference between the the thinking of Marvel uh, and Stan, and the thinking of you know of, of what DC was doing. And it's just like that point of view, respect for the audience. Treating it like literature, looking at the world and imbuing it, and then just cranking out stuff for kids. You know, it's just like it says it all. And to be able to have it play out in real time like that. I mean, that was one of those moments where like, look what I found, like running (laughs) into the the edit with a thumb drive or whatever.
1: (laughs) Thinking about. Stan, obviously such a public personality, he's a Nikon, everybody knows him and everybody loves him. What is your responsibility to telling this story, to his legacy, to, as you mentioned creatively, the hills and the valleys, but also, you know, for him, for those hills and valleys? What are you trying to make sure you represent?
3: Well, I think that, you know, it's a memoir Stan telling his own story, his own journey of creativity and his collaboration, you know, his work with Marvel comics. So we wanted to convey the messages that he wanted to convey this message about not giving up, following what you believe in, even when people are saying that you're nuts. And, you know, he kind of distills it nicely in this clip that we have from a, a commencement speech at, at, at UCLA. And that's why this whole thing about like true being a true believer. And it's like, That kind of gusto of like believing that your vision is worth something and that you can go for it. I think that's like kind of the key inspiring message that, you know, if he can do it coming from, you know, an extremely poor family, he wanted to be this great American writer. And he did, but not in the way that he thought that he would. And I think that that's really interesting, you know, so he followed his vision. And then worked with what he had, and then both the circumstances and his own belief kind of like took him to a place that nobody had ever seen before. And so it's like you know, believe in yourself and follow. You know, don't let people tell you that you're crazy. Like, go for it. And you may succeed or you may fail, but don't not do something just because you're afraid. You know, don't be afraid and pursue your dream. I think that that's like a very universal kind of message. And that's something that we wanted to make sure that we were instilling.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you brought in, in the documentary, some panels and stuff from the weird, wacky bullpen stories that Stan would do, or the things of like Foom and, and showing the bullpen in various ways. And so we get to see some of those collaborators, those key personalities. For me, I knew Flo Steinberg because she worked at Marvel for many years, as I've worked at Marvel for many years. And and. So when I saw her pop on the screen, I heard her voice and like, it just got me. It was really beautiful to see Flo in there and you get some stuff with Jack and and Steve. It must have been fun for you to sort of make sure we get to see some of the other people around Stan in those Marvel days up on screen for the film.
3: Oh, absolutely. And she's such a wonderful character and gives a great point of view. And uh, I love that whole uh, Mary Marvel Marching Society and being able to kind of- Uh, bring that to life. (laughs) You know, I kind of, we wanted to film that. Like, how would Stan have filmed this? If this, if he had a film, and I bet he wished that he had a film crew and he could have made that into a movie. You know, how would he have done it? And uh, that was really exciting. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, that his team is in there, you know, and he believed so strongly in collaboration. He created an incredible environment for people to be creative. And uh, we want to just kind of like make that world feel real.
1: Ultimately, what do you hope viewers take away from Stan Lee?
3: Well, I think it's that message of believing. If you have something that you want to say, you have a big idea, go for it. And it doesn't matter where you came from. Just go for it and 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 work with great people and bring them together and let them shine. Let them do the same thing that you were trying to do. Convey something, say something about the world and to respect your audience I mean, these are all kind of creative things. But I think the real thing is to, you know, if you have a dream, go for it and don't let anybody stop you.
1: Amen. David,
3: thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan.
2: All right. That was director David Gelb. Stan Lee is now streaming on Disney+. Plus, So go put it on your watch list. Go check it out. It's a delight. All right, so now it is time for Community, a.k.a. this week in Messages. Yeah. So uh, next week, we are going to have an interview with the one, the only, the fantastic, one of my most favorite fun humans in the entire world, Chris Anka. It's going to be great. Yeah. So he's been making a lot of waves with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, um, and a lot of that has to do with the character designs, the process that he went through, um, bringing them to life for the movie, but also giving some of our favorite characters some updates. And so we wanted to ask a question to y'all this week, which is, this does not have to just be Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. This could be any character, I think, Ryan, Yeah? Any Yeah, character? I
1: think I, uh, the idea, Chris has designed and, and redesigned uh, a ton of characters, but so many artists have too, so... What are some yep. of your favorite costume designs for Marvel characters? Could be as simple as, like, you know, Spidey's original costume or the yep. black suit costume.
2: Or, you know, we can go into like The Runaways, which is one of my favorite redesigns that Chris did. And it wasn't mm-hmm. even like really a costume, it was like a wardrobe.
1: Yeah. Oh, like mid lookbooks for every issue is
2: wild. Also, big shout out to Javier Guerrón, who did like literally an entire lookbook when he uh, started. His work on um, Miles Morales with Saladin Ahmed that was just yeah. like still one of my favorite things to go back and look at. Also like Strange Academy, looking at Umberto Ramos's like original character designs uh, for characters like Shayla Moonpetal, which you know doesn't necessarily look like the final. So like, have some fun, dig into your favorite characters. Tell us what your your favorite designs are.
1: Yeah. You know, you got Wolverine's original costume, but maybe the yellow and tan is something or like a refined version of that. Or you could think about, you know, many looks of Scarlet Witch or Mm. any of the Captain America or Captain Marvel costume. There's, you know, think about some of the ones that when you think of your favorite version Of a character. What do they look like? What do they wear? Yeah,
2: I mean, Black Panther just got an update. You know, one of my favorites, and we've had this conversation over and over and over again, is, you know, Mohawk Storm. All leather, all day. Also, that's that question where you almost go, aren't you hot? And you're like, oh, wait, you control the weather.
1: (laughs) She could just have like a little breeze on her at any time.
2: She's like, 70 degrees. Uh,
1: yeah. So we want to hear from you. You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to at twimpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it's OK to read Twim on the show. Uh, all right. But let's get into our question of the week answers. Last week, we asked y'all, who from the Marvel universe would you invite to your book club? We got a lot of great answers. Tweets uh, in here. First up, G to the A at G to the are not tweeted, Uatu, because can you imagine the discussions? Reading a book about a historical event, he can tell you anything you want to know that happened in this universe while also sharing what it was like in other universes, a multiversal storyteller. That is a mind-blowing one, but he would also be like, well, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's well, actually."
2: I think <laughs> All I'm thinking about is like how long do you want your book club to
1: be? <laughs> I'm here for it. Also, like if you could t- if you take the thought that all fiction is reality in another universe, he would tell you like how true. Do you not you never think about that? I think about every book that I read is actually something that is in another universe cuz the multiverse, the omniverse is infinite, right? So like really? every story is pulled into someone's mind from a different That's the way I perceive it. That's just I mean, me. look.
2: There's a there's a a a universe where Wolverine is a chibi little cute <laughs> donut loving sweetheart that just doors to Please go read Exiles by Saladina Ahmed. It's a real thing. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, no, I want that. So yes, I love this theory, Ryan. And my brain just exploded. Um, yeah. Uh, AJ, Fearnot at K Nerd eighty nine. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur for sure. Number one, she's a big nerd, and I love her energy. <laughs> Number two, who wouldn't want to hang out with a dinosaur? I got nothing. I think I think yeah. that's a great decision. Nailed
1: it. Very good. Alokin at Alokin Prime tweeted Rogue. I think she'd be into books, giving the no touch social life she had for a while. She probably has some killer recommendations, and also she's just amazing. And I want to hear her perspective on everything.
2: Yes. Also, I feel like she would listen to a lot of audiobooks because she would be tired of listening to Gambit.
1: Very good. Uh, Everyone loves a good story, but they use threes and ones and it breaks my brain trying to read their Twitter name. Um, They say Beast is the first character that comes to mind. He loves to read and explain things. I love to learn. So it's a match made in Krakoa. Well done. Match made in Krakoa. He's going to have some interesting insights into things. Everybody, if you get a chance, read this week's issue of Wolverine. It has one of the single most disgusting scenes I've ever seen in comics, where it's Beast eating seafood in a conversation with someone else. And I like yelled at Benjamin Percy over – over. well, I didn't yell at him. I, I commended him for being a horrible, horrible man, for writing that scene and making Juan Jose Reap draw it. It was disgusting. Ugh. I love it. So much. Uh, I did see one more tweet that I wanted to throw in here from Betsy Braddock news at Mental Monarch because they say Maggie Braddock. She'd have such an interesting insight into the text. Maggie is the little daughter of Brian Braddock and Megan, former Captain Britain and an amazing, you know, members of Excalibur. But she's she's like, I don't know four or five, but she's got the mind of a brilliant, genius, older person, but also some of the quirks of a kid. I love that answer. That one is a really fun one, especially because I was reading the Betsy Braddock series uh, yesterday. Also, she's so.
2: part fay. Like, yeah, come on. Exactly. Ugh. That sounds amazing. Also, would be someone to be like, yeah, that's true. Dairies mm-hmm. do do that.
1: Very, very good. <laughs> we got an email from Paul Warren, and Paul says I'd recruit Squirrel Girl and her roommate Nancy, Gert from Runaways, Rocket Raccoon, Bruno Corelli, aka Kamala's friend, Foggy Nelson, Emma Frost, and or Kitty Pride, and the man who can read every book, Jamie Madrox. We would forget to invite Beast. In real life, my family book club has five components, one of which is two issues of Marvel.
2: We go out to eat to discuss what we read together. <gasps> Paul, that sounds amazing. I love the family thing. I'm a little thrown off by Emma Frost. I was like, I was there. I was there. I was there for Squirrel Girl. I was there for Nancy, Gert. I'm going ha- to have to get a follow up on, on why Emma Frost. I think someone throw a little spice in there. Uh, and my second question is, is Old Lace also invited? Gotta have Old Lace, right? I feel like if Gerd is there, oh, Lace is going to have to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, So we have an email from Carol. Uh, the Marvel characters I would choose to put in my book club would be Jen Walters, Loki, Patsy Walker, Jane Foster, Scott Summers, mm, Clint Barton, <laughs> Kate Bishop, <laughs> Verdi Willis, Carol Danvers, Bucky Barnes, Wanda Maximoff, Darcy Lewis, and Deadpool. Wow. Uh, you know what? That's a big book club. And I got to yeah. say... This is a person who understands that not everybody shows up to book club every Exa-
1: week. I was going to say the same thing. You may get like three of them one week, eight of them the next, two of them the next, or I, I should say month, because <laughs> uh, ain't nobody got time to read a book a week.
2: No. Uh, email from Heather, Fiona, and Nolan. Hi, Twim. What a great question this week. Our bookworm family is so excited to make our own clubs. Nolan wants to invite Moon Girl. Crescent, Miles, Shuri, and Gabby, with Jonathan, of course. Fiona wants to have an open door to any and all ladies across the Marvel Universe, good or bad. For me, the most obvious answer is Blade, Carol, and Steve. If you know, you know. But really, it would be Sue Richards, Alicia Grimm, Jessica Drew, Jessica Jones, Crystal, Jubilee, Greer, Mom's Night Out book club. Okay, I love it. As a deep aside, I love the shift in the acceptance of graphic novels as a true literary medium. I've been advocating for reading comics my whole career, but providing my students with the graphic novel versions of Frankenstein, Animal Farm, and Macbeth allows for access to classics and also makes the kids feel like it's okay to enjoy comics as their main literature. As I'm closing the chapter on year 15 as a high school teacher, congrats to you, I'm grateful for Marvel's continued deep storytelling in both comics and movies because it helps me to open the doors for literary classics. Yours, Heather, Fiona, and Nolan. Oh, also you're, you're a saint. You're yeah. a saint.
1: Yes. Oh, so good. Just the best. All right. We got emails from James Marsh who said, my Marvel book club. Doug Ramsey has read the book and has thoughts on subtle nuances from different translations. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Julie Power has read the book and highlighted various passages that mean a lot to her. Ben and Alicia Grimm listen to the audiobook together. Mm -hmm. Emma Frost, instead of reading the book, she had a spa day with the author, read their mind and now tells us exactly what the author's (laughs) intent was at every passage discussed. (laughs) Brain Train shares a nihilistic haiku about the book. Peter Parker meant to read the book, started a few times, and couldn't actually make the meeting due to something that came up last minute. <laughs> Kate Bishop, Jeff the Landshark, ate the book. Oh, my God. All of those are such perfect choices. And then James says, as much as we love them, the following would be terrible book club members. Groot, Dupe, Artie, and the Island of Krakoa. I mean, those all just have interesting ways of communicating, but I think Dupe would, would provide great gonna... insight
2: say i don't know i think we need to get a dupe translator and we'd be absolutely fine dupe has always been the mvp on knowing what's going on and artie sweet i will take
1: (laughs) no one saying anything about my sweet boy artie he's a little tiny sweet boy and i love artie if you don't know artie and leech two of the greatest little kid mutants of all time they're the best
2: Oh. oh, I'm in tears I can't with you. Uh, moving on to Facebook. Ricky Holton says, "Who would I want to be in my book club?" Number 1 would be Kamala Khan. Even if she didn't read the book, she'd still try her hardest to participate. Fair. Number 2 would be Kate Bishop because I think she would read half the book and still participate even though her reason for not finishing was because of Lucky the Pizza Dog. And my number 3 would be Yelena. Belova, because I think she would actually read the book, but not want to talk about it. (laughs) Those are
1: all great choices.
2: Oh, delightful choices. I'm, I'm there for Yelena.
1: And then Carly over on Facebook sent us a message saying, I'd have Rocket in my book club, as he'd be listening to the audiobook while inventing or relaxing after a Guardian's mission. Hulk, as he'd bring good snacks like tacos or guacamole. Logan, and he'd get frustrated and put his claws through the book. And Rocket would laugh hysterically while getting nacho dust on the book. Lunella would be keeping things in order and letting Devil read picture books. I love the chaos of that book club, Carly.
2: I love that Carly thought about snacks. Yes. Ugh. This is very important. And you know what? You can never go wrong with tacos and guac. Hey, Ryan. Yes. You you made a promise at the beginning of the show. I did. I promised that we would have a
1: podcast and we've we've finished that podcast. No, no. But do you mean R- the other thing? Ryan,
2: you yes, you're supposed to uh. you're supposed to have the thing that we oh, tell the yeah. people so they can do the thing on the inside thing.
1: Yes, it is a Marvel Insider code. We got one for you this week. If you're not signed up already, head over to marvel.com/insider where you can earn points for doing stuff like reading comics articles or even listening to this very podcast. We've got a code for you this episode. The code is True Believer. One or two words. Oh. Uh, The code is valid until June 23rd, 2023. Receive 5,000 Marvel Insider points when you enter it into the This Week in Marvel podcast code redeem activity at marvel.com slash insider.
2: Limited number of redemptions available. One redemption code per Marvel Insider. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only in terms apply.
1: Yes, that's it. We did it. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Cara McGurk, Allison, Isabel Robertson, Ryan Panagos, and Angelique Rochet. Our senior manager,
2: audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. A special thanks to our special, special guests this week, Brian Intihar and David Gelb. And, you know, special thanks to you for listening, because you're amazing.
1: Yeah, you're all right. I'm Ryan. I'm Angelique. This is Marvel.
2: Your universe.
1: And you are terrific. Thank you all.